uh, I'd like to spend more time with them, amen, in the future. Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1. And by the way, I'd just like to say that, um, you know, Brother Shine does his best thinking in the shower, and, or I mean in the bathtub, and I was in the... I, mean, I was in the shower a minute ago just thinking about how happy I am. And I got thinking, how, why am I so happy? I, I'm so happy. And I got thinking, you know, I'm excited about what I'm studying about. I'm excited about what I'm preaching about. I started studying this last night, and I finished studying it like, like an hour ago, like literally, <laughs> like 52 minutes ago, amen. Um, but I'm encouraged about what I'm learning in the Word of God. Then I got to thinking even more. Look, I understand that there's clinical depression. I'll acknowledge that. But I also aggressively acknowledge that that's by far the, 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 the smaller statistic, that people are medically depressed. I think there's so much more depression that we put upon ourselves. And I, and I personally speculate that that's the higher percentage. Okay, that's Dan Gunther's opinion. What, what, why am I saying, why I'm saying that is because, man... If we would not just read, but we'd study and understand the Word of God, we'd get excited about things. We'd find a happiness thinking, man, I'm, I'm excited about what I learned. I'm, I'm encouraged about what I learned. I, I look forward to tell somebody about it. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 1, you know, it, it begs the question, how do we reason together? By, by, by talking to one another and by listening to one another, right? So how do we reason with God? By talking to Him through what? Prayer. By listening to him through what? His word. Right? So look at Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. It says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. That's what we're doing when we study the word of God. That's, that's what we're doing tonight. And let's, I, we might as well finish out the verse. It says, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as wool. That wouldn't sit well with the... The, the dispensation crowd that believes in different gospels because that was said way over in Isaiah. That sounds a lot like what Jesus and his disciples taught, but that's another message. Amen. Last week we looked at two questions uh, that you'll often hear an atheist uh, uh, say that, that they'll bring up. And Number one, if God created us, then why do we live in an imperfect world? And, of course, the answer is that God did make a perfect world and we ruined it by our sin, Right. Number two, the question was, why would a loving God send people to hell for all of eternity? And the answer is, he doesn't. God doesn't force anybody against their will to go anywhere they don't want to go. They don't want to be with God for all of eternity, then he won't force them. Tonight, let's continue to look at another question. One question that atheists will often ask. Brother Rob, would you open this message in a word of prayer, sir? We turn to Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 7. While we're turning there, I'll just throw out that when a non-believer asks you a question that seems hard, it's often because they, uh, they really don't want an answer to it. 
they may not even know the answer to it or, or even want to know an answer to it, but they really might just want you to kind of go away. And also they want to be justified in their unbelief. Every man is justified in his own sight. Every man, period. And woman, amen, right? We all justify everything we do. I justify the fact that I uh, paid for McDonald's yesterday morning and Thai food at lunch yesterday. I should not have done that. Uh, that showed up on the credit card. Uh, and um, I'm not going to point fingers, but somebody wasn't too happy about that. I'm spending money that we really shouldn't be spending. But I justify because I'm hungry at the time and I want to go out with my work buddies, right? Amen. You're right, babe. I'm wrong. You're right. Amen. But every man does justify everything in his own sight. Um, but often, and this isn't the question, but, but just pointing, pointing to, to how a non-believer will throw out something just to, just to justify themselves real quick or just to, just to make a, 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 a quick claim just to throw things to divert, right? Like they'll ask the question, um, and this is what I'm preaching at, but they might ask the question, could, could God make a rock so big that he couldn't lift it? Right? And, and, and right, so, and, and you might hear that and be like, mind blown. What? I can't put that together. But here's the thing. It's not a deep thinking question like it seems like right on the surface. It seems like some great, awesome, wow, what a deep thinker he is. It's actually not the case at all. That's just, that's just taking the illogical and trying to put it in logical. You're trying to take a, a God who's outside of time, space, and matter and put him inside of time, space, and matter. It's illogical that you're trying to make something logical. If you were to take an, an, an unstoppable bullet train, cannot be stopped. Make that the standard. Cannot be stopped. And it's coming right towards an unmovable wall. What's going to happen? Well, they're both illogical because... <laughs> Any train can be stopped and any wall can be moved. But you're trying to make something that's illogical and put it into logical terms. But, also, but right, you might take it for a second to think, wow, that's so deep. Wow, what, what would happen when really it's a fallacy? It's a non-existent. It's, it's, can, can, that's like saying, from now on, the letter A will smell like peaches. doesn't even make sense. That's, that's illogical. <laughs> or let's, instead of painting the bathrooms, they're not white. Would you say they were tan? Yeah. I don't know, Brother Riley. It's pink. Amen. I don't know. We, amen. Depends when the sun's hitting it, right? But instead of painting the bathrooms pink, Let's paint the sky with our paintbrush pink. Let's paint it pink. It's illogical. It doesn't even make sense. So when they ask the question, it's a complete fallacy. It's just a redirection, whether they're doing it on purpose or not. You can't even have the conversation because it's dumb. If I were forced to give an answer, yes or no, I would say no, that God could not make a rock that's so big that he couldn't lift it. But that doesn't change the fact doesn't change his position or his power that he's got. It, it, it makes no difference if he could make a rock so big he couldn't lift it or not. 
It changes nothing on any level of any conversation you're having, especially with a non-believer. If a mother decides to give her children ice cream or to not give her children ice cream or decides to take her beautiful children throw them off a bridge or to not throw them off a bridge, that doesn't change her position or power. She's still the mother. So to say, could God make a stone so big he couldn't lift? Oh, my goodness. Blow our minds. It's just silliness. It's just silliness that it's literally not even worth entertaining with conversation. Amen. Let's get to the message. Amen. Uh, Amen. Amen. Our time would be far better spent just studying our Bibles. And they get wrapped up in simple-minded questions that just lead to nothingness. Uh, have, have you ever, and as I'm saying that, I realize we all have, <laughs> um, been in a conversation that's just, just absolutely um, mind-numbing. You're talking about nothing, and you feel like you're going in circles. We've all been there. I know we've all been there. <laughs> that's miserable. That's what that conversation is about. Amen. Our job is to study to show ourselves approved in the God. Workmen that needeth not to what? Be ashamed. Problem is, I, I'm going to speculate that most Christians, or the modern day Christian, I should say, the modern day Christian is ashamed for what they don't know. I'm ashamed that I don't know more. I'm ashamed that I'm not a better witness than I am. And I'm the pastor of the church. Yikes. It's more important that we know our Bibles and we're ready to give an answer for what we believe instead of entertaining silly questions and wasting time. Number one, I only have one point tonight, Old Testament genocide. Old Testament genocide. How can God uh, tell us not to kill, yet he told people to kill all the time in the Old Testament? That's a fair question. From a non-believer, that's a very fair question. I can absolutely understand that. Uh, They could say, is that not hypocritical? Um, is that not God changing his mind? Because if you can find one error in all of scriptures, then it's all, it's all gone. It's all gone to ashes. It's all, I thank God there's no errors in the scripture. There's no errors in the God that we serve. There never has been. Amen. Every time uh, they try to find one, they realize it's uh, illogical, trying to put in a logical box. Amen. Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 13, you have the Ten Commandments are all laid out right there. What's it say in verse 13? Thou shalt not kill. God told people, thou shalt not kill. How could God tell Abraham, hey, you need to kill your son up on the altar, sacrifice him on the altar. Knowing that he told the Jews after him, thou shalt not kill. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. I'm making the case for the atheist if you guys haven't got that yet. Deuteronomy chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land where thou goest to possess it, and cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. 
Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. It would seem like quite a contradiction here. How God could tell Joshua to wipe out these nations, all these nations in Canaan, all the Canaanites uh, that come before you, because this is your land that I've promised you. You're going to wipe them all out. In fact, you're going to utterly destroy them. You're going to wipe them out. Doesn't that contradict what God already told them in the Ten Commandments in Exodus? Richard Dawkins, and I just, he is such a smug Hmm. Um, he is highly regarded in the scientific world. Um, he wrote a book called The God Delusion, which actually, among his peers, make fun of him because of his. Uh, uh, it was more of an emotionally driven book than it was any statistical. I mean, even his peers that are complete atheists that hate God say that his book was really weak and he just did it out of emotion. Richard Dawkins hates Christianity, hates the, hates the notion of it. But on page 31 of the book he wrote called The God Delusion, this is the words, this is a paragraph that he wrote, and I, and I can't even say all these names even though I looked them up and, and learned what they mean. I won't be able to say it right or remember what they all mean. But he said, this is his description of the God of the Old Testament, which is how people call it, which by the way, when people say the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament, look, it's God. Like the same God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. It's just, it's just God. You say, well, he dealt with these people. Look, he was dealing with his people that was bringing in the Savior of the world. He gave the Jews some specific things to do. The Jews some specific laws. It wasn't like mankind had all this specificness to do. Let me get back to the message. Rich Dawkins wrote this. He wrote, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, he just lists all these, the biggest words he could find, the biggest, ugliest words he could find to describe God. He says, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infocidal, genocidal, filicidal, that's like narcissism, uh, pestilential, megalomaniacal, Sadomasochistic, capricishly and malevolent, malevolent bully. I know, babe, I, I murdered some of those because Rachel can read all of those perfectly. But that is a pretty clear picture of the atheist case against the God of the Old Testament. As they, that's how they would put it. An atheist claimed to Richard Dawkins all the time in debates. I would start by saying that I and we don't need to shy away from any scripture. If God said to wipe out these people, then God is just. He can do it. I don't need to hide behind something. I don't need to try to stand here and defend God because he is God. I don't need to defend him. Not even the least. I don't need to be worried about any part of scripture. We can be proud of it and understand what it says because God is a just God. However, I can defend why I trust in God. Amen. I would possibly say, and there's many avenues you could take, but I would first find some common ground because so oftentimes people will, people will say this just in regular conversation when you're talking about like um, uh, Vladimir or Saddam Hussein or whoever the latest terrorist of the day is. 
Um, you know, I just wish God would just wipe them all out. I just wish God would just kill them all, all the bad guys. And, and I get that, and I totally sympathize with, with the spirit of what they're saying. But they don't know what they're saying. Because by what standard should God call a bad guy a bad guy? Just the murderers? Because God says the murderers are the same as the liars, same as the debaters. All of a sudden, if God were to wipe them out, he'd have to wipe us out. Right? So, so all of a sudden, the standard of which justice should be isn't what we think. It's what God thinks, ultimately. Amen. i got to stay on the message. Eh? Amen. But I would say to somebody, to get to that point, I would say, hey, man, have you ever done anything wrong? Ever. And if you're talking to somebody who's honest, could you, could, I've actually talked to somebody. I think we were at the flea market. Where was I? Might have been at the flea Was that with you, Brother John, at the flea market where somebody said they'd never sinned? Was I with you? Said they'd never sinned before. Never did anything. We're like, come, dude, I can't even have a conversation. Like, you might as well just stop. If you can't even acknowledge that you've ever done anything wrong, then you're a liar and the truth is not found in you. To use scripture. Amen. But we can, all of a sudden, we can find common ground real quick. We both, and I would say, man, I've done things wrong too. Like, we've done things wrong. And, and do you think that when we did things wrong or whatever, how little, how bad it was, do you think we should get like a prize for it, like a reward for doing something bad? Like, no, not of course. So then, so then what's the obvious answer? Then, then there's a consequence. We should, some, something should happen because we did something wrong. There's a consequence to doing wrong. Well, obviously. Now, at that point, you can go to different perspectives. You can talk about morality, right? You can talk about uh, uh, um, um, go to the Ten Commandments, right? You can go down, if we're, like Brother Rob has done, if we're going to stand before God in the court of law, are we guilty or not guilty according to the Ten Commandments? Right? Tying in with morality. Can we turn to Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1. Anytime an atheist says that uh, something is right or wrong, do you realize, because they don't, that they're actually and literally stealing the concept of morality from the God of the Bible? Because right. outside of the God of the Bible, there, there is no law, there is no morality. That Morality right. comes from the God of Abraham. So anytime they say that's wrong or that's right, they're really acknowledging the God of the Bible without even knowing it. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean? There's no atheist. They were honest. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Before you got saved, you knew that there was a God and you knew that there was a creator. Look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it unto them. Who's the context of scripture? Those who are in unrighteousness. That's not talking about saved, but we're talking about the lost in this verses. God has manifest himself to them. Shout what about those tribes in whatever third world part of the country? God has manifest himself to them. They know that there's a God. We inherently know that there's a God that's written upon our hearts. I think that's in Jeremiah somewhere. Look at this, Romans 19, I read it again. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Everyone wants, oh, that's my own note, sorry. (laughs) 
everybody knows that the God, the, the, what an atheist does, they want to suppress that and deny that. I've been listening to uh, the last three days an atheist debate uh, of an atheist. I never really heard a debate before. He has his own podcast that is just sickening. Uh, he's actually the president of some sort of atheist, something, something, I'm serious. Uh, did you know, and this is not a joke, atheists actually have their own songs. I should have printed them off. Well, uh, which is which is opposite of what Steve Martin wrote. Oh. Atheists have no songs. It's a funny comedy bit he did. But anyways, they actually do have songs, which is so they actually group they get in groups and they sing songs. It's like, what are you doing? What? But I thought you. What? It's like you have a religion. It's like you have a belief of something anti-God. You come together in your belief. No, we don't believe in anything, but we get together singing about it and studying about it. It's a religion. Are they want to acknowledge it or not. This atheist, he uh, he made the remar remarkable claim, and I was amening in the car. That's why I took my phone right here and I listened to it going back and forth because I got excited. My phone was down my back, and I had to shake it out when I got to work. <laughs> Whatever. But he made the claim uh, towards the end of the debate that he said um, the question was, what evidence uh, would the Christian have? Is there any evidence that could be brought to you that would ever make you believe in Christ in the resurrection? The debate was on the resurrection. What evidence would prove to you that the re resurrection happened? And he said, no evidence would ever convince me. Think about that. Now we're in a belief system. That's a belief system. It's too comfortable. You can't acknowledge that. But, but he went on to say this. This is what got me all excited. He said something to this effect. He said, because if I were to... And if, if we were to prove that the resurrection actually happened, he said that would have monumental effects on everything. And he says, I just can't come to that conclusion, and I cannot allow that. Something along those lines. It got me excited because he acknowledges the importance of the resurrection. Right. It would change everything. Right. And it did yeah. change everything. Right. Oh, man. Um, can we turn to Leviticus 18.3? Everyone's like, you haven't answered the question yet, Pastor Gunther. <laughs> You've just been talking, Pastor Gunther. Amen. God is the author of morality. God can do no wrong. If God chooses to give life, he can take it away. He is God. He is outside of all of it because he created all of it that we know of. He can do whatever he wants. He wants to bring somebody into this life, he can take them out. See, God wouldn't do anything bad. You know what? God caused persecution in the church to spread the gospel. Right. Right. God allowed some bad things to happen for good. That's a fact that we really need to understand. And if we really get a hold of that, all of a sudden it's hard to have some bad days. And it's really hard to be depressed knowing that uh, nothing can touch me unless it passes through his hand first. Right. Amen. By the way, you Tell it, you can tell the atheist that if the God of the Bible is real, then we don't really die, we just change location. Yeah. Just, just to find the way. Amen. God, he's the ultimate creator. He can do whatever he wants. So let's look at genocide in the Old Testament. We've got to keep this message going. Amen. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 3. 
After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. By the way, this is God talking to Israel. That's the context. After the doings of the land of, uh, uh, land of Egypt, uh, wherein ye dwelt, ye shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. And the chapter goes on, and you can just skim through it right now. The chapter goes on to list all these sins of Canaan. And God's telling them, don't do this, don't do this. These are all the sins of Canaan, and it's bad. It's real bad. And a whole lot of sexual sins. The last six or seven verses of the chapter talking about sexual sins. And he lists every little a bestiality uh, with your sister, with, with your, your father's uh, wife. And I mean, just everything lays it out. Canaan was a wicked place. Because we think, we think of uh, a place and a people, we're going to think of the good things of them, right? And, and right, I'm sure there's good things you can find anywhere you go. But Canaan wasn't just wicked and all these things ex exceedingly. But remember, the Canaanites, Amalekites, and Perizzites, and all these other ones, these seven nations that lived in Canaan, they're all Canaanites, right? You got Michiganders, you got Ohioans, I say they're Buckeyes, we'll go with Buckeyes, right? You got all these states in America, they're all Americans, right? These are all Canaanites, all these nations. It's the same nations, the heathen nations that are sacrificing their children to the God of Moloch. Remember the one that the God of Moloch they would burn the inside of the statue would get really hot. They drop the baby in the in the burning arms of Moloch and just the, the, the skin would singe all the way down while the baby's screaming. The drums are beating so so the mamas can't hear the baby screams as loud. Wicked child sacrificing, absolute sexual immoral people. You say, oh, there's a few bad apples. No, no, no. And there's other verses, and, and, and I'm really just, I got like 10 more minutes, and I'm just denting the question <laughs> and then answer to the question. But to get deeper, we can really talk about God, God gave the Amalekites, God gave them over 400 years to repent. It wasn't that God was just like, you know what? I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth just because I just said, no, there's nothing arbitrary about God. Right. God sent them prophets preaching, hey, Repent, repent. They didn't. Right. It wasn't just like something. No, no, no. They decided not to. And you, you put a child and you raise them in that. You talk about 400 years of raising and that stuff. Yeah. That's a wicked people. Sure. You don't get that out of your life and all of a sudden you're going to have other issues. Amen. Just like having sin in your life. You talk about the, 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 the applications there. It's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to take over. Next thing you know, you're doing this. Next thing you know, you're doing this. Next thing you know, you're not even in church. Next thing you know, you're not even reading your Bible. Next, I mean, just, it goes and it goes. Towards the end of that same chapter, Leviticus 18, 24. It says, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these, for in all these nations are defiled, which are cast out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Now if you think about this just for a minute, and we're, we're starting to land the plane, so bear with me. I may, may not be a good pilot, but we can get on the ground with a plane. Amen. Why would God tell Israel and give them a whole list of uh, specific instructions on how not to marry in yeah. with them? 
how not to do this like them and how not to do that like them. If he told them to utterly destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth and make sure that every single soul is gone. Because when we read utterly destroy, wipe out, that's what we think in our minds. But if God told them to utterly destroy them, God told Israel to utterly destroy the Canaanites, then why would he go on and then give them directions on how to deal with them? Uh, pauses to stop and think, amen. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. The answer to that is because utterly destroyed doesn't mean that every soul is killed. Utterly destroyed does not mean that every soul is killed. Utterly destroyed means that they cannot fight anymore uh, and are surrendered to the children of Israel. Utterly destroyed does not mean that every soul is completely wiped out. Like in our language that we would think of today, that is not the case. In fact, there's many cases, like, like seven or eight that I found. And for time's sake, we're not going to go there. But times in battle where Joshua would go here and they utterly destroyed them. They, they wiped them out. They were, I want to use other words, I can't think of them right now. But their language was like they were completely gone. The next chapter, you'll see that they're dealing with the Amalekites that he just said they're utterly destroyed. The language is they didn't wipe out every single man, woman, and child. The language is we won the battle through surrender to us. Yeah. Now let's go back to our original text, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. And right after this, God tells Joshua, right after he tells Joshua not to destroy them, he says, and don't marry with them. So you must look at verse 3. It says, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shalt thou give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. Man, I could preach a whole message on graven images. There are religions and denominations that love graven images. God is so against graven images. Uh, so many verses against that. But here's the important verse. Look at verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Don't, don't forget the importance of the Jews. They had a major role to play in mankind's redemptive history. There was literally no nation of Jews until God created them through Abraham. Who was not a Jew? God created a nation to bring the Savior of mankind through. Not that they were perfect. But God could not allow grievous sins to be within that group of people. Right. Not that they were perfect. And he could not allow child sacrifice, 
sexual pornography, all these wicked, wicked things, so that so that the, 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 that his peculiar people that he called unto himself would now be part of these wicked practices. You think that God's going to bring that there's going to be a, a, a virgin left that serves a living God? I don't think so. God had to make sure all these things were in order. God had to protect his people. God was literally protecting an entire, an entire nation of grievous sins so that we could have a hope of salvation. So that every man, woman, and child, not just during that time, but that through all of history, past, present, and future, could have salvation. As a father, it's my job to protect children from grievous sins. I can't protect them from all sins because I can't do that. I'm not spiritual enough to do that through my own life. But it's my job to protect them from as much as I can. Even if that means consequences for disobedience. You know, the shepherd will sometimes break the leg of the sheep when the sheep is disobedient. So that then what happens now that shepherd more work on that shepherd. Come on, believe me, it's more work on that shepherd. But now that shepherd's got to carry that sheep around, now that sheep's going to gain the trust of the shepherd. Right. Guess what? That sheep's going to really love the shepherd because it really got to know the shepherd because that shepherd, it was close to the shepherd the whole time I was getting better. Yeah. That sheep couldn't do nothing without the shepherd. Yeah. Part of the shepherd's job is also to kill any wolves that threaten the flock. God was doing that with his people. He was doing that for us. A, a, a selfish parent that literally cares more about their, their own friendship with their children. Right. A selfish parent that literally uh, doesn't spank or discipline their kids because they're too tired. They don't want to get up. Yeah. I've been there. I know. I speak from experience. Yeah. But the truth is, it's because we love ourselves more than we love our children. Sure. Because man, I don't want to spank nobody when I get home. I just want to love on them. But because I love them, yeah. I'm going to do something that I don't really want to do. Yeah. Because I love them more than I love myself. Sure. So why did God allow genocide in the Old Testament? Because he's gracious. Right. Because he's loving. Give us a salvation, not just, not just, not just for uh, the Jews, but also for the Canaanites. Um, not just to Hope Baptist Church, but also to the lost folks that we work with. Amen. And even to that self-proclaimed atheist who ignores what he knows to be true, he just denies it. Christ died for him. Yes, genocide in the Bible. God allowed it. Lord, to understand your word. Help us, Lord, to 